Hi, my name is Ali Reza Mujibian, and welcome to Noteworthy. For today's episode, I'm joined by a friend whose incredible soprano voice is only matched by her kind heart and infectious laugh, Miss Gwendolyn Yearwood. Born in Calgary, Gwen started singing at the age of five with the Calgary Girls Choir and continued to sing with them for the next 16 years. Gwen and I met when she moved to Vancouver in 2012 to pursue her bachelor's in music at UBC. Dare I say, it was a pretty instantaneous friendship. A friendship built on the backs of many evenings filled with rehearsals and performances, only to be followed by gin and tonics, peach schnapps, and her incredible scones. Gwen is a true colleague on and off stage, pushing you to the limits of what you think is possible while providing everyone with the space to explore and develop characters that, although fictitious, have an innate ability to be relatable to each and every one of us. She's a class act in what it means to be an honest friend when it matters, a compassionate friend when it's needed, and a brilliant actress and soprano on stage. With that said, sit back, relax, and thank you for joining us. So I'm going to try and wrap four questions into one and then see where the conversation takes us. So who is Gwen Yearwood? Where does she come from? How did she find music? And I guess ultimately, how did it lead you to opera? Well, as you said in your way too generous introduction of me, um, I'm from Calgary originally. Um, I started singing. I mean, I always sang, even when I was like, as soon as I could talk, I was singing. So my mom put me in choir when I was five years old. And I sang in the choir for my whole growing up. And, um, and then I eventually decided to pursue music at university, um, because I couldn't picture myself doing anything else. Really. I entertained the idea of becoming a hairdresser. I entertained the idea of becoming a lawyer kid. I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to be a million different things and I couldn't actually see myself doing any of those things in the end. So yeah. And then I moved to Vancouver to go to UBC. That's where I met you. And yeah, opera kind of happened by accident also. Um, when I was a kid, I didn't know anything about opera. Um, it's not something that I grew up with. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was a thing that people actually did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I went to post-secondary and my first um, teacher at post-secondary was like, you have a great voice for classical music and potentially opera. Let's try it, try it out and see what happens. And then... From there, I just, I mean, I started singing it because I thought I sounded good singing it. And then mm-hmm. I just kept singing it because I couldn't stop. So when I was initially thinking about starting this podcast, one of the things that intrigued me was how are my friends doing? How is quarantine treating them? Because if there's one thing that I've noticed over the last seven weeks, it's that that although we're all on the same in the same storm, we're not necessarily on the same ship. But one thing unites us. And I think that that's the fact that as artists, as musicians, we have a tendency to take on the joys and sorrows of the world for better or for worse. And this isn't to take away from uh, the non-artists and musicians out there All of our feelings are valid, but I feel as though we feel it on a different level that's uniquely ours. 
So I wanted to tap into that. I wanted to ask you, how has quarantine been treating you? How have the last seven weeks been? It's been weird. I mean, it's been really up and down. I've definitely had moments where I felt like everything was fine and I was getting used to it. Um, And then moments where, you know, I'm just like on the floor crying, staring at the ceiling for two hours. Um, You know, to be perfectly honest, that's been a lot of it. But I don't know. It's weird. Like what you said about how we feel things stronger as musicians, because we kind of bear all the burdens of society on our shoulders because we have to bring that to the stage, right? Like we're storytellers. Um, And something that I have been really not doing very well is making music during this time because it's such a vulnerable activity. Um, Literally today for the first time in seven weeks, I went into my studio and I actually sang my own repertoire only for about 10 minutes because that's Mm -hmm. all to do I'm super rusty now I probably shouldn't admit that on the podcast but like I haven't been singing in like a serious way and I realized I was like whoa I've never taken seven weeks off before in my life mm-hmm. ever um but you know the voice comes back right like it feels yeah. rest- today I was like okay she's still there she's still going we're good <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's hard I mean something is such a vulnerable activity Uh, maybe some people would probably say I'm wrong, but I think it's a much more vulnerable activity than sitting down and playing an instrument. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to be so connected to your emotions and you have to be so connected to your body. Your body is your instrument. Yes. You know, your brain affects the way that your body is working. So if you're having a bad day and the voice isn't working, like it's just, it's really stressful. It makes it's it's part of the reason why auditions are so make or break. Because if you're having if you're having a god awful day, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. You know, for me, um, I'm I'm blessed in a sense because when I graduated, I I kind of diverted. I needed a bit of a break, and I found a slightly different career path while trying to keep myself as engaged and as active in. Um, the world of music and the world of opera. And so my understanding of it, um, as I've come to realize, is even as a musician, worlds different than someone like yourself, worlds different than my other friends who are across the country. Um, And I try to justify how I'm feeling as opposed to how one of my friends would feel. And the only thing I come back to is, sure, we may be in different situations, but we see the same companies going down. We see the same arts organizations going down. We see our friends who are um, dealing with vast amounts of uh, contracts being canceled left, left, right, and center, regardless of where they are in the world. And it affects us equally in that sense, because we can see um, what we do maybe not be as appreciated as it should be. And yet we're still called to be there as a beacon of hope as, as artists. Um, so in these seven weeks, other than, other than not singing, would you, have you done anything else that you would say is creative that you, that, that has provided you an outlet? Absolutely. Um, and I mean, when I say I wasn't singing, I wasn't singing opera. I was not singing like the way that I'm trained to sing. 
Um, I love to play my ukulele. I play my ukulele almost every day. Um, I've even been sitting down and playing piano, which is something that I don't normally do. Nothing fancy. I'm not really a pianist, but I can, you know, I can fake some stuff. Um, I have been making music in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about this whole thing is that, you know, I have all this time. I have lots of free time now. Um, I'm still kind of working because I'm teaching um, via Zoom, which Mm -hmm. is also a really interesting experience, but that's a topic for another day. Um, You know, so I have all this time and in what I'm now calling the before times, in the before times. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The before times. (laughs) I used to wish that I had this much time on my hands to practice and to go for a walk or whatever, you know, and then there's a sense of like guilt because now I have all this time and I wasn't doing all the things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, what's happening right now is very traumatic. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as people, as humans, we're able to normalize things quite quickly. Like it's, it's been interesting to me how quickly all of this has sort of become normal, still extremely stressful, Yes. Um, but somewhat normal. And and yet you can't do all of those things that you wanted to do when you had all that time. You know, I've been staying creative and, um, I mean, teaching is a chore. <laughs> I, so I, I know you said it's a topic for a different time, but it's a good segue because it's, <laughs> because it is something that, um, um, artists from across the country, across the globe are having to deal with of creating uh, new methods of employment for themselves. And one of the ways, as you said, is teaching through Zoom. How do, how do you do it? How do you, how have you adjusted to that life? Um, it's been a super interesting experience. I mean, I really didn't think that the Zoom thing would work. And the very first lesson that I had on Zoom actually was a piano lesson that I taught for a six-year-old who I thought would never be able to sit still for this. Um, She is rambunctious in the best of times, even in person. And I thought, no way is this going to work. And like that first lesson, I've actually never seen her so focused in my life. Um, The little ones, especially... I think because the format of mom's iPad is something that they're really comfortable with. Yes. And also like mom's iPad is something that they normally use to play a game. Mm-hmm. So now piano lessons or voice lessons aren't a chore. They're a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen lots of crazy things though. One of my students fell off the piano bench. Um, one of my students just got bored of me and straight up walked away from the computer. No um, way. Yeah. One of them threatened to hang up on me last week. She was like, I'm going to press the X. And I was like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I kind of joked. I was like, eventually they're going to realize that they can just close the laptop and walk away. But I didn't think it would actually happen, but it actually has happened. So... <laughs> Um, like sometimes it's really challenging and it's hard, it's hard not to be able to connect with your students on a personal level. And it's hard not to be able to, um, you know, accompany for them Mm -hmm. or, you know, move their hands into position at the piano. 
but it's also super rewarding to know that um, I can offer some kind of normalcy to these kids during this time. Yes. Um, and I always feel better after I've had a really good lesson with a student, even if it hasn't been the greatest lesson, even if I can, you know, just see their face and interact with them and say hi to their parents or, you know, that's a really good feeling. Are there a couple pieces throughout your life that you would say um, have moved you, have inspired you, have brought you um, to where not only where you are today, but have a have a tendency to to ground you? And they don't have to be uh, uh, opera. It doesn't have to be in that category at all. Um, something that makes Gwen tick. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Puccini, like for me, is the top. Like this is. Puccini is the reason that I love opera and that I fell in love with opera. Um, I'm sure there's lots of people who would say, oh, you know, that's so basic. And Puccini is kind of basic. Like, I, you know, I want to say like, oh, Strauss and Berger, mm -hmm. but that's not true. Like Puccini just, um, it's the orchestra, the, the texture of the orchestra just like pulls at your heartstrings and it makes you feel like a human. Yes, I don't especially know, right now. Yeah, I don't especially know. Especially right now. To say it, Puccini's music just makes me feel human. Yeah. And Giorgetta right now, like, actually is a role that's been um, resonating with me in kind of a weird way. Okay. I think because, I mean, the theme of that character is this sense of, like, being trapped in her reality. And yes. I'm very trapped right now. <laughs> <laughs> mentally emotionally extremely trapped um you know and when I think about that production that we did at UBC Opera um I don't know if you remember this but the tech crew built the whole opera takes place on a barge this woman Georgetta lives on the barge with her husband who she hates and is horribly abusive we presume and the tech crew built an actual like barge on the stage and it was so small, you know, and walking around on that barge with Jason Klippenstein, who was my Michele, mm -hmm. you know, my husband and just feeling the walls like closing in on you of this barge. Yeah. I don't know there's something about that piece that just, I mean, for obvious reasons, just sort of resonates right now. So a little earlier, I mentioned that you live in Ontario. Can you tell us where you live and how things are going? It's weird. This time, in so many ways, is such a curse. Um, yes. It's horrible for lots of us. Like, we've had contracts canceled. Um, a lot of terrible things have happened. Um, you know, I miss my friends. I miss my family. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to work. But in another way, it's been interesting to just be quiet and still for a while yes and to have this time I mean it's horrible but to have this time is in a way a blessing as well yeah I agree um to be able to go for a two-hour walk on a Sunday with my fiance is something that we haven't done in I'm not kidding years mm -hmm. um living in Toronto has a real way of kind of grinding you down you know we always talk about in Toronto I feel like every time I see another singer 
on the street and say like, you know, how are you doing? Oh, you know, good. We're just doing the grind. Yeah. Something that we just say on a regular basis. We're just doing the grind. We're just doing the grind. Um, you know, and in the before times I was working. <laughs> That's going to kill me every time. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, I was working, I worked four different jobs normally. Wow. Usually work about a 12 hour day, sometimes a 13 hour day. Um, I come home, I go to sleep. I'll, me and my fiance don't get to spend any time together. Really. I don't have a lot of extra time for practicing and things because I'm working all the time. Um, you know, and just trying to like get by because Toronto is a very expensive city. Yes. Um, and so in a way it's like, it's almost nice to have these, this long period of time in which mm-hmm. to be quiet. And like something that I've been doing that I haven't done in years is practicing yoga. I haven't done that oh, in wow. years because I don't have time to do that. Yeah. Like, I didn't time? even know you did. You liked yoga. yoga. You know what? I didn't like yoga. Or at least I thought I didn't like yoga. I was like, yoga is dumb. I hate yoga. It's the worst. I didn't think that I liked it. I really didn't. I thought it was so horrible. But now, like, I've had this time and I was kind of trying to think of ways to stay active at home, which is mm-hmm. a problem, of course. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try some free, like, YouTube yoga videos. And I'm actually finding, like, I really like it. Mm-hmm never have discovered that about myself had I not had this time yeah so I wanted to ask you you said you talked about Toronto and the, the one of the difficulties of living in major Canadian cities is is uh, how expensive they are and um, especially for our generation I think regardless of how uh, hard we may be working it not, never feels like it's enough how would you change it for our generation is there anything that you've come across in your day-to-day life that you think a small change would make a huge difference living in Toronto. I, I thought that it couldn't get more expensive than Vancouver. And then we moved to Toronto and then it was like a whole nother world of bills. Um, simple things like controlling the cost of rent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel uncomfortable telling you that we live in a two bedroom apartment. We've got 800 square feet here mm-hmm. on the main floor of a house. There's four other units in this house and we pay over $2,000 a month for this apartment. And that does not include any utilities. And it's horrific. And I mean, the reason that I worked for jobs, yeah. I mean, technically I guess I still work for jobs. I mean, I've been laid off from one and the other three, I'm kind of piecing together as much as I can. Mm-hmm. But the reason that I work so much is not because I want to, of course. It's just that we can afford to have our life. And it's not an extravagant life that we're living. Mm -hmm. That being said, we're not, you know, impoverished either. Like, we do okay. But, and we're very lucky. Like, you know, Chris and I have been living together for five years now. He has a full-time job. Like, you know, we have some security in in knowing that one of us isn't an artist and can always full <laughs> time living, which is amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, having a bit more financial freedom and like for our generation, you know, something as simple as like, we would love to buy a house one day. I know. Or to buy a house in Toronto. Yeah. We would have to save up. I mean, thousands of dollars just for a down payment on a one bedroom condo. Yes. That we and we can never do that because mm-hmm. we have to spend thousands of dollars every month 
to live in our, you know, two bedroom, 800 square foot little apartment. Yeah. I think that there is, you know, this huge financial burden Mm -hmm. on our generation that previous generations didn't really have. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I'm being honest, like once COVID-19, I mean, hopefully once they find a vaccine and we can kind of go back to somewhat normalcy, um, I would like to continue living my life the way it is right now. I mean, minus being trapped in my house. I'd like to be able to go out for brunch with my friends. Yes. But I would like to have all of this extra time to be creative, to go for a two and a half hour walk, Yes. to listen to the birds, to drink coffee in the morning in my pajamas and watch the news and not have to worry about making it to my shift on time. Um, I would love to be able to continue this kind of life and have time to be more creative and have time to practice my craft more. Yes. Yes. Um, instead of fitting it in where I can. Obviously, this has put um, dents in everybody's future plans in a lot of different ways. Um, I know if it's okay for me to share with people, I know that you and Chris had been set to tie the knot officially in September. Um, what have you guys done in that regard? Have, have you just postponed things? Have you, what have you done? We have done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, in the first sort of week of all of this, it didn't even cross my mind that we would not be able to have our wedding on September 6th as we had planned. Um, and then slowly, like in that second week, when we started to sort of realize this real severity and sort of realize that this may last a long time. Um, we started to think about it at that point. I kind of thought we would maybe postpone until December. Um, but we weren't sure we wanted to wait. We decided we would wait until May 1st today. We decided we would wait until May 1st to make a decision. And what we've decided is that it's still too soon to make a decision about anything. I think we most likely will have to postpone the wedding. Um, We still want to have it. We still want to do like the ceremony and the reception that we had planned at a later date. Um, Depending on how long we have to postpone, we might, you know, we've discussed that we might just go down to city hall on September 6th and get married anyways. Yeah. So can always have the party later. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I know a few other couples who are getting married like this summer or fall who are like, yeah, this is a great time to like do all this wedding stuff. And I'm like, nah, I was on top of the wedding stuff. Like I, there's nothing really left for us to do other than decide when it's going to happen at this yeah. point. I feel like we've touched on a lot of um, important points, especially for people who are in uh, similar situations. Uh, But equally as important, it's um, really crucial for everyone to remain hopeful and to think to the future, a future that we can all create together, a better future. And as cheesy as it sounds, um, a future where we are all equally, truly equal 
regardless of country, regardless of nationality, at least that's my hope, um, if ever I were to win the Miss Universe pageant. Um, <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll throw that to you. What are you most hopeful for? Well, on a super um, selfish and personal note, I'm hopeful that we'll actually get to have our wedding eventually. Yes. yes. Um, but on a broader, a broader spectrum here, I'm, I hope that everyone, all of us, the entire world, I mean, this is an extremely unique circumstance because literally everyone in the world is, is in this right now. Mm-hmm. Any place that this has not affected. So I'm hopeful that we'll all learn something from this about how to live a little bit better, mm-hmm. to be a little bit kinder to one another, mm-hmm. um, that we'll all learn a bit about what's important in life. Um, and I think I think that most people have, on a personal note, learned that lesson. Um, but I, you know, I think it's easy to slip back into old habits. Yes. I hope that we can carry all of these, all of the good parts of this, all of the staying connectedness of this. Um, there's so many lessons to be learned from this, and all of us have been given this like weird gift of time mm-hmm. um, you know like one of the things that um my family's been doing this pretty much for the last i think four weeks we've done this every saturday night we get together and we have like a family zoom party my whole mm-hmm. family all my relatives in san diego calgary bermuda from all over the world we get together and we zoom and then the last three weeks we've made it like a trivia night so we have like a quiz master every week. Somebody is different every week, different quiz master. And we have a big family trivia night. And so we have something to talk about that's not doom and gloom. Um, you know, and then we can talk doom and gloom after. But I've never, I stay very connected with my mom and my grandparents in normal life in the four times. But um, not with everybody else in the family. Yeah. Early. obviously you know i stay a bit connected with them but not every week everybody mm-hmm. together like that's something really good that's come out of this and those are the kinds of things that i hope we can hang on to mm-hmm. carry into the new era now that we've talked about what we're hopeful for um is there any music that you're listening to right now that makes you particularly hopeful or stirs up feelings in your artistic heart <laughs> So, um, I mean, I've been trying to keep it light, you know, I wouldn't say that this music makes me feel particularly hopeful, mm-hmm. me feel better. Good. Um, I've been listening to actually since before all of this self isolation started, I've been listening to this band called Scott Bradley's postmodern jukebox. That's uh, a name. It's a name. I had never heard of this band before. I found one of their songs on a weird playlist at work. And they're really cool. You should check them out. They do covers of like modern music, like modern pop songs, like silly stuff, like Miley Cyrus, like anything, you name it. They've done a cover of it, but they do it in a swing fashion. So they're like a whole swing band and they do only covers of modern pop music. And it's crazy good. What's it's, the name of it again? 
It's called Scott Bradley's Postmodern Jukebox. Okay, I'm going to get all these names from you and I'm going to put it into the description box afterwards. Okay, that's awesome. So Glenn, uh, in the intro, I talked about your long relationship with the Calgary Girls Choir and uh, your love for them. Uh, is there a message you'd like to send to them? Is there, pe- is there something that people can do to make sure that this organization continues to thrive and continues to provide young women um, the opportunities that it gave you? Of course. I mean, it's for me, it was such a crucial part of my life. Um, the Calgary Girls Choir quite literally gave me a voice and gave Mm -hmm. me, you know, my life's purpose. Like that's pretty big. It's an organization that means a lot to me. It has always meant a great deal to me. You can donate to them. Um, You know, keep in mind if you're listening to this and you are still earning your full income and you feel financially comfortable or able to do so, you can visit their website which Ali will post a link for you in the description um, and make a donation to them. If you feel so inclined, it's a really great organization. Um, They are fantastic. I also have to say, because Chris, my fiance said, he was like, make sure that you shout out your mom because she's going to listen to this. So yes, shout out to my mama. (laughs) Love you, mom. Thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute joy. Um, Gwen and I haven't had a chance to talk like this in a very long time. Um, I miss you dearly. And I the only thing that could make this possibly better would be the next time we do it, we are in the same room sharing a glass of peach schnapps, a glass which we both know will be minimum two bottles of peach schnapps. Absolutely. I <laughs> have a long history with peach schnapps. Yes. I'm pretty sure that at some point I'm going to ask, um, what was the name of the peach schnapps that we drank? Dr. Wu? Dr. Something. Dr. Something. McGillicuddy's. Dr. McGillicuddy's. Okay. <laughs> at some point we're going to win, win this thing. If this thing gets big, we're going to get them to sponsor it. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think they would do it. A huge thank you to Mr. Duncan Watts Grant as well, who is editing and producing this show with me. It's a new adventure for for all of us, and I hope it brings people together. I hope it spreads a message of hope and a message of um, unity uh, that we that I think we all need right now. And to all the musicians out there, you got this. We will get through this together, and better times will come ahead. <laughs>